0: Seat. Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10 says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You know what um, is utterly amazing about the Bible is that regardless of how many times you've maybe read a story or a passage of scripture, God can reveal something new to you. So no matter how many times you've read a story, you might go, how did I ever miss that? That's because the Bible is not just any book, it's a divine book. God speaks not only in it, but through it. Yesterday, um, I was reading this, this text on the resurrection of of Christ. And I I noticed something that I just, I've never noticed before. Um, The women are going to the tomb to anoint his body. And this isn't what I I hadn't noticed before, but I think an interesting question is why? Why are they going to anoint the body? Well, the story after Jesus died, it was late in the evening. The following day would have been Sabbath, which was a day that the Jews, they could not work. So you couldn't, prepare a body, bury a body, do anything. So when Jesus died, there was kind of a rush to, 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 find, you know, to find a grave and to, put, to, to prepare his body. And so there's a man named Joseph of Arimathea who had a grave. And he goes to Pilate and he goes, can I have Jesus' body? Pilate says, yes. And they, they take the body along with a man named Nicodemus. And they put Jesus in a, a grave that the Bible says was in a garden close to the spot where Jesus had been crucified. So time was of, of, of the essence, and so it's likely that the women were going to the tomb to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial, worried that maybe not all of the, the proper rites that were part of their tradition had been done properly. And in Mark's account of the resurrection, it talks about how the women on their way to the tomb were worried, because the question they had was, how are we going to get into the tomb? How are we going to get to the body? I mean, with this huge stone that's in the way, how will we move it? And in Matthew's account, which we just read, it said, There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And here is what I just, I've missed my entire life that yesterday just stuck out to me. And that is, you know what? Jesus didn't need an angel to move the, the stone from the tomb so he could get out. It wasn't like Jesus was in there and he's like, uh-oh, I'm stuck. And he goes and he, he knocks. Anybody out there? You know, Michael, maybe, you know, the archangel or something. Can you move this so, you know, I can get out, I'm alive now? I mean, look, Jesus didn't need an angel. He didn't need any help to roll that stone Away. I mean, we're talking about the creator of all things, the first, the first of, of all, the word of God, the one who was there from the very beginning, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who holds every single molecule in his hands, the one who spoke creation into existence. I mean, any beautiful landscape that you've ever seen, any wonderful sunset, as you look up and gaze into the stars, all of these things, were spoken into existence and set in their proper place through Jesus Christ. Not to mention, here's a man that's made blind people see the lame walk, feed 5,000 people with measly portions of fish and bread. This man does not need help getting up and out of the tomb. Also, not to mention... We see that he appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, moving through locked doors. In John 20, verse 19, this is after the resurrection now. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Just went through the locked door. And then later... A week later, in John 20, 26, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Thomas, of course, being the one who was doubting the resurrection and was like, I need to see Jesus, I need to put my hands where his wounds were. It says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This this man does not need an angel to roll the stone away. And so I was just like, Really, like, move by the side. I was like, I got to read all the gospel accounts in one sitting. So I went through each gospel account Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And one thing that stuck out to me was John 20, when the disciples get to the tomb. It says this So Peter and the other disciple, who was John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. I mean, these are just these details that we we can read, and we just sort of go through them. And yet, these minute, at least in our mind, minute details are telling an extraordinary truth. See, Jesus, he would have been wrapped up after his death, almost like, like a mummy, and, and that his head and his body would have been wrapped up separately. And and the disciples go in and and the burial garments they're not they're not like ripped off or disturbed in any way. In fact, the word that is used here in the Greek, the word "lying," the clothes were lined there. Literally means lying precisely as the body had lain in them the grave clothes were in exactly the position that the body had occupied. This means Jesus passed through them. And then he got up and he passed through the rock and went on his way to Galilee. And the the women get there and the angel has removed, like moved the, the, the stone away from the tomb and says that he is not here, but come and see where he laid. So why move the stone at all? The stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. So that, the, that, that witnesses could go in and trust and verify that the resurrection had actually happened. You know, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm really thankful for that. Been to a lot of Easter services much earlier than this one. Okay, we rocked the 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 7 a.m. like sunrise service. Okay, um, so 10 o'clock. Good job. You know you got here. I am thankful for that. But you know I've been to a lot of Easter services and um, I've heard this story you know countless times. And um, you know when I went off to college, I just went and kind of left what I had grown into and just went and lived a kind of a life and a pursuit of what I thought was going to make me happy. And I thought, I'm going to go get a degree. I'm going to get a degree in business and I'm going to make a lot of money. That was the belief in my heart that if I just made a lot of money, I'm going to have safety, security, and pleasure. So that was the pursuit and um, I started down that path and I uh, did fairly well. And yet, um, no matter what I did, no matter how successful I was, no matter how much money I made, no matter how many things I acquired, there was no peace. There was, there was a hole. There was something missing there was this deep desire for longing uh, and longing for purpose and peace and meaning and, and, and filling something in my heart and soul that was there. Not to mention I looked out in the world and it just and it was it's apparent there's something wrong here. Why all the evil? Why all why all the sin? And so I I realized like I need something greater than myself. I need to pursue something greater than myself. And I'd grown up in a, in a Christian family, but I felt like, man, I, I, I needed to make a decision for myself, which is true of everyone. You don't grow up into your fa- like the faith. You're not born into it. The invitation by Jesus is come follow me. And that's an invitation that every single person, your parents can't answer that for you. Your pastor can't make that decision for you. You've got to make that decision for yourself, each and every one of us. And at, at 23, I realized I've got, to, I, I've got to make a decision. Like, do I want to follow the Jesus that I was taught growing up? Or is there someone else? Is there another belief, another religion that's worth following? And so I decided to seek, pursue. And I started to read and I started to read it. I started to read about Christianity, started to read about other religions. And one of the things that stuck, stood out to me, and it was glaringly um, apparent as I started to read about other religions, was that every other world religion outside of Christianity, you are saved by following the founder's teachings. The most important thing about the founder, of name the religion, was their teaching. And followers would work hard to follow that teaching and somehow work hard enough maybe and behave in in a manner that was taught that they might attain something, salvation of some sort. But every other world religion was centered around what you did, what you could do, what you could accomplish, how good you could be. And inevitably, we all look and go, how, how can I do all of that? And maybe a certain few can, but only a few. But Christianity, utterly different than every other religion. Christianity does not believe that you are saved by your good works. Christians are saved, not by what they do, but by what Jesus did. Jesus was an amazing teacher, yes, yes. And he taught us how to live and he gave us a way to live, yes. But he is much more than a teacher. He's a savior. He is a substitute. He is the only one who sacrificed his life for his followers. Why? Because he loves the world. He loves his his creation. He loves you. And the one thing that was keeping you from him and keeping me from him, our sin had to be dealt with. And Jesus chose to be the substitute to become our, the sacrifice to die the death we all deserved. And I realized something like, that's a guy I want to follow. Someone who would dem- go to such lengths to demonstrate his love for me to be that sacrificial, to say, look, it's not about following all the rules and doing everything that I've taught. It is by faith saying yes to the invitation that I am offering you, and that is to follow me, to receive me, to come into the tomb and see that I am real. And at 23, I said yes to Jesus for the first time for myself. That's who I want to follow. The angel invited the women to come and see the empty tomb. See for themselves that Jesus is alive. And the invitation to you and to me is come in and see. Jesus in Matthew 7, 7 said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You know, maybe you're here and you're like me. You've pursued a lot that the world has offered and said will bring you fulfillment and happiness and joy. And maybe you've done really well for yourself. Well done. But if you're honest, maybe there's, 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 a, there's a sense that something is missing that something isn't right. Maybe there is a, a hole that no matter what you throw into it, no matter the titles you've received, the accolades, no matter how well people speak of you, no matter how much money or, or, or things you've accumulated, it just doesn't fill that hole. Because it's a hole that only Christ can fill. And maybe you're ready to, to seek something, someone different who could maybe bring you the peace, the joy, the purpose that you've been seeking for all your life. Or maybe you just go, there's 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 no way. I've never, I, you know, I can't live up to the expectations of the Bible of the teaching of Christ. I've done too many bad things in my life. I'm nowhere near the the holiness that must be required to follow Jesus. I've done things that there's no way God could look at me and receive me. The amazing good news Of Christianity is it again is not about what you do, it's about what he did. And the invitation is not go fix your life and get everything right before you go to Jesus. This man, get go to Jesus now. Come with all of your all of your weakness, all of your sin, come vulnerably, come in faith with your mess and bring it to the feet of Jesus. And guess what the Bible says? He goes, He does not push you away or turn his back to you. He receives you because he loves you. That's what we're celebrating and worshiping and crying out in thankfulness today. That we've been invited to follow Jesus. We've been invited for, to, to new life and resurrection. That Jesus did what we cannot ever do for ourselves. And what is required of us is to respond to that invitation. Come and see. Seek, and you will find. Trust, and in faith, believe Jesus is who he said he is. This morning, you have an opportunity to do just that. And I want to invite you, maybe for the first time in your life, to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ. So I want each and every one of us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want to pray and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to move. And if if you sense a welling up in your your, your heart, if there's an emotion that kind of comes up or, a, a, or there's just something you can sense, wow, God, God is real. God is doing something. He's inviting me into this. The invitation that I'm gonna ask in the next minute is just for you to stand as a way to say to Jesus, look, I stand recognizing that I need you to be my savior and my messiah. I'm tired of trying to do it all. I'm tired of going after all the the, the wrong things that aren't satisfying me. I'm tired of carrying the burden of my sin. I'm not good enough, but you're good enough. And I want to receive you as the Messiah. I'm going to seek you. So spirit now work in hearts of people that Jesus, you died for and you live for. May they know that you love them. You, you, you died for them. You're inviting them to be adopted into your family forever. For the, the penalty of their sin to be paid for forever. To be resurrected by the Spirit into new life, a new story, a new chapter. To, to, be, to be brought into the hope that death, even death in our final moments, and our last breath, you are with us and we will be redeemed and resurrected Forever with you. So if you want to respond to the invitation of Jesus, right now, I invite you to stand. Just stand. If, know that Jesus loves you. Know that he died for you. Know that he lives for you. It is not about what you've done or haven't done. It's about what he has done. And he did it for you. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, your eyes are on those standing and you love them. May they feel the, your presence and your love right now. And Spirit, we, know, we recognize that when we profess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you are Lord, we are saved. They are saved and that we are, they are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Spirit come now, invade their hearts and minds. They are a new creation now in Jesus' name. They are in the family of God now and forever. Fill that hole maybe that's been missing their whole life. And now as everyone else stands, let's all stand. We raise our hands to the King of Kings, that you are alive, Jesus. And we give thanks for our new brothers and sisters in Christ who now are in your family, belong to your family forever. Thank you, Jesus. You are alive. Amen.